Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back to Gyro Nation Metal. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host. Horrify is a death grind band out of Calgary, Alberta, who put out their debut self-titled EP on October 2nd, 2021. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with two of Horrify's members, frontman Nate Trash and guitarist Joel Peterson. Nate also hosts the Trash Talk with Nate Trash video streaming podcast available on Twitch. Horrify will be releasing new music in the near future with an EP hopefully out by the end of the year. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. No problem. And uh, just for the listeners here, because we don't have video, do you guys mind introducing yourselves so that the listeners know who is who? Sure. My name's Nate Trash. I am the front man of Horrify. Uh, and I am also the host and founder of Trash Talk with Nate Trash and Trash on the Streets. And my name's also Nate Trash. And no, I'm Joel, and I'm the guitarist of Horrify. Guitarman. He's Guitarman guitar and consultant, yes. Mm hmm. Mm hmm executive chair well played well played so nate where did your uh, nickname come from so um i started as a vocalist for as for metal bands when i was 17 years old with my old band world-class white trash and we played shows all around southern alberta and one of the bands that we played shows with was called leave the living and the vocalist of leave the living his name was justin shadows and he started calling me trash nate trash all that stuff and uh now i think he might have actually been trying to insult me i don't think it was like a cute endearing nickname i heard i've heard some new <laughs> some new information has come to light in the last couple of months and i really think that he was actually like calling me bad stuff <laughs> but it stuck <laughs> well you take it as a term of an endearment and then turn it into a podcast you have uh, yeah. the stage present or the stage stage name right so that works yeah. um and then uh yeah, go for sorry. It. Sorry. and then joel it's your turn yeah well, my my nickname, Joel, is my real name. Um, I don't have a, a last name at all. And the, uh, the Robotnik. Let's go with the Robotnik look, Joel. Yeah, well, I'm wearing the glasses right now. I, I, I look like Dr. Robotnik, people say, because I'm fat and bald and have a mustache. So I kind of embrace that when we're on stage. And uh, people really like it. It has nothing to do with anything. There's nothing in our music about Dr. Robotnik or even like a legally distinct... Uh, version of that it's just metal straight ahead speed metal that we write and uh yeah that's about it so that's something i'm confused about too because you have like a, a few different sounds in your music and the only thing that can find you classifying is something uh, something akin to death grind so what would you guys consider yourselves so um uh, i will answer this my in what i think because i'm like i came up with the idea for the band and originally like pulled russ into it and but joel Joel and Russ are actually the main songwriters for the band. So Joel will have some some opinion to this afterwards. But for me, I always wanted to start something um, on the fast, heavy side. And I'm an absolute freak for hardcore music. So, and Pig Destroyer. Pig Destroyer is one of my favorite bands since I was a, like 13, 14 years old. So it needed to be something fast and intense. And there's been a new genre to pop out lately called metallic hardcore. And I think we lean a little bit in that, but I also got our, our latest video reviewed on a channel called unsigned showcase on YouTube. Everybody should go check that out. He releases videos nonstop, but he said that we combine notes of death metal and hardcore, but it's not traditional death core in the least. And I was, I, I really liked that really like the fact that we took those opposite ends of it but still came to the same point mm -hmm. it's something that can't really be defined by some boundaries that have been put out there 
that's kind of been the usual. It was the same thing with my old band too. And I'm not, obviously I'm not saying that I have anything to do with that because I don't play any instruments. I just yell and scream and inject ideas. Fair enough. And you said um, that you're not the main songwriter for the, for the band, correct? Yes, that is Joel. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Joel. I, I'll, I'll jump in, I guess, and piggy piggyback off what Nate said. Nate, Nate and I uh, share some of the same influences. We both like the Chrome Eggs. We both like Pig Destroyer. Um, I like bands like Ghoul and Toxic Holocaust and Sex Machine Guns. I have a lot of influences outside of metal. Um, so I just call it speed metal because it's fast, but I mean, it's got a bit of everything in it. There's some power metal influences in there sometimes. Um, I don't want it to say it's undefinable. That's not true. You could probably toss it into any one of those genres, and I think it works fine. It's not cool. But, but a lot of the bands we like are like that too, right? So, you know, there's bands like Big Destroyer where real hardcore grind fans will say, well, the last two albums weren't really grindcore, you know, because yeah. they get too musical or whatever. And so it's like, at that point, I think it's fine to just slot yourself wherever feels comfortable. So that sort of death grind arena we probably fit in there in in there okay i would say too um, well and now listening to our newer demos and some of the songs that uh joel and russ have just recently put the like the first recordings on there's a lot of hardcore in there a lot of um, punk. there's it's mm. almost yeah it's um, i'm leaning more towards like the death punk or grind punk type style because of the way that some of those riffs fit together. It's not just a constant barrage. And I think it's going to just keep changing because when I get bored of writing things one way, I try I write them a different way. And so and there's going to be from song to song, different influences depending on what the song needs. And half the time when I'm coming up with a song, it honestly just starts with something that's playing in my head. And I build up from there. So maybe I'm in a punk mood and we write a punk song. Maybe it's more of a grind mood. We write a grindier song. There's some songs that we have that have elements of like Southern metal, like Pantera and Crowbar and shit in there too, right? So it's all over the fucking place, to be honest. And another thing too is that like we don't don't write music to be in like competition or to try and like take our our influences and directly put them out for people like we do we we write and we play what's fun for us and what gets our blood pumping like yeah we try we try to write metal without listening to metal so to speak well it's because we just want people to be entertained and, and so yeah the big thing is getting each other to rip each other sometimes apart. we'll say like when russ and i are writing we'll say let's have a time signature change here because this is where people might want to start moshing or something right it it really is that simple in the writing process of like we're trying to engineer this kind of en energy that we enjoy like that's why we get up on stage that's why the show that sucked the most for me was the one where no one was really moving and i was like well this is fucking boring you know like nobody's excited so i'm not excited and and so we try to keep things fresh for that reason because if you keep things if the songs are too stable from song to song that mosh pit stops basically and so if you switch it up and then go oh, now it's punk or whatever uh I, people really seem to react to that so we do it to to incite a direct reaction on purpose because we want people to have a good time that's that's what it's all about well, it's obviously you guys have a good time when you're on stage. Like I saw your uh, your performance there at the kickoff of Loud as Hell, and like one of the things that really impressed me is Nate. You put the mic up to some guys, uh, some guy's face basically, and he sang out the verses, and I was like, "That's really cool." But everybody was fucking; they were going hard the entire set. 
And you guys have an incredible stage presence too. Um, so that's, and that's another thing too, is like, that's, that's the show that Joel's talking about was the one where people didn't really move as much, but that's also something that Joel noticed too, that like he, he came out to that show in his work clothes still had just started a new job. <laughs> baby, baby was, was baby just born or just on the waist? Baby had just been born like the week before yeah. actually. So there was no, there was no enthusiasm from Joel to give to the crowd. And if you don't give, you don't get back. Yeah, that's, and that's the thing is if you're not projecting that, then there's nothing for the, cause we're still a new band, you know? Regardless of how deep any of us are in the scene, we're still a new band. We still owe our dues. Yeah. And that means that, you know, we have to give that 100%. And like, if you look at video footage from any of our, any of our shows, it's always full fucking tilt nonstop, you know? Yeah. And when that was interrupted, it was, it showed. And this is the thing too. We canceled, we, we were supposed to play in Edmonton for our second show and we canceled because I passed a kidney stone. Joel got sick as well. And there was like no chance that we're going to go and risk going up there being and boring. a half-assed show or having to fail on the show halfway through because we're sick. You know, yeah. we, we know what we do. We know what we do well. And that's what we're going to continue to do. It's not sit down and play music. You got to, you know, you, if you want to get that energy, you got to give it back. So yeah, I'm not slagging our fans and I'm not afraid to slag our fans. I do it all the time. Uh, well, that's part of our shit. That's part of our thing. We, we hate our fans. Uh, but we love them at the this same time. This is entirely time. Joel's fault. This was all Joel's fault. That's right. It was me. I take responsibility for it. And uh, it's not going to happen again because the next time it does, I'll be replaced. I've been told this. Well, I'm and, and not, replaced, not replaced by another guitar player or no. another person. Replaced by one of the many clones that we have for you down in the basement warehouse. I'm not a unique individual. There are a few of me uh, out there. Basement warehouse. <laughs> So speaking of new additions to your band, you guys just had Scott join as the bassist? So Scott didn't join as really like join as the bassist. Scott like okay. physically forced his way in by like harassing me and like <laughs> tapping on my window at night. And like, no, okay, not quite that far. But so what happened was last year at Loud as Hell, just before Loud as Hell last year, uh, we were, me, Joel and Russ were working together and we we're writing the first songs and we were, we were getting stuff on the go and we we're like, well, let's look for a bass player. So of course, loud as hell, best place to look, best place to talk to people and network. Well, I've known Scott mm -hmm. for years, known Scott since I was 18 years old and he's always been a bass player. He's never been a guitar player. He's never been any other, anything else. He's just been a bass player. So mm -hmm. when you don't aspire to greatness like that, you're very attractive to us. Because we don't aspire to greatness either. <laughs> but no, he was really excited about the idea. He was really stoked. And he's like, yeah, man, I want to try out. I'm really interested. And I was just kind of like on the back burner because I never known Scott to be a very like dedicated individual. And this is no dirt to Scott because he's definitely changed the way that I think about him now. That's why he's still a member of the band. And like he was one definitely uh, a piece of this band that is is not we're not it's not replaceable you know it's just like anybody else he contributes just like anybody else but he had he fucking harassed my ass about it it, it took us a long time to get to the place where we just said scott's fine we like him yeah he came and jammed and like <laughs> he got through a song and we're like fuck it let's do this kind of one of those people who makes a uh, pushes way in until you like him well yeah and like the thing with scott is that you can't there isn't really any reason to not like scott scott is fucking psychotic i don't know like if you if you notice but 
watching the footage of him, he's crazy, and he moves around like a, a monster, and he sweats. He's just fucking disgusting. I don't want him to yes. like come near me when we're playing yeah. because he's just radiating. Like, like there's just water dripping off of him. But like that's what we want, right? We want someone like that in the band that's gonna go fucking ape shit. I I would go more ape shit, but I gotta play guitar and I get tired really quickly. So Scott comes in and fills in the gap for, for us. I I think there, you know. And then Russ, he can't go super hard because he's got a mask on. And he gets really hot really quick too. Like we're kind of old men. Like we can't handle a harsh climate change and and things like that. <laughs> um, what, what what Joel is trying to say is they're both. They are both stay-at-home house husbands. We are, exactly. We're very milk-toast. I am, I am too. <laughs> and, and so we need someone like Scott that's going to come in and get his nose broken in a mosh pit after the show's over, you know? Yeah, yeah, some Scotty boy. Scott, I love Scott because he's, like I said, a dedicated bassist. He doesn't play other instruments. There's no chance of somebody being like, or Scott jumping up and leaving because he's got an opportunity as a guitar player, finally. You know, there's no chance of him trying to push his weight around with Joel because he is a guitar player who's just playing bass so he could be a part of the band. Oh, and I weigh more than him anyway. <laughs> and it's true. Yeah, I can't push Joel around, and I'm stronger than Scott. So that's not going to happen. Yeah. It's one of those... Perfect. Get a little bit more control. Yeah. It's one of those momentum things. Where did the band name come from? <laughs> so, this is... 4 or 5 was started as a joke. Like, it actually started as a band name. I just started the band, or I just, I just came up with the band name. I was like, I want to start a grindcore band, and I want to call it Horrify, but with a W because it's edgy. So I can explain to people that it's Horrify with a W, you know? Just mumble that out, have that conversation with people. And that this was after World Class White Trash, where I was definitely not, like, interested in being in a band anymore. But I still needed to flex my muscles because it's something I've always loved to do. So the band name was literally just... Uh, what sounds cool, but has got a little bit of like fake creative edge to it. And it was horrify with a W. You know, like hey, that's more creative than I would have come up with. There's man, man, is there a story there? It's like the story is that is to get people to think that there's a story. The more interesting story than the origin of the name is the fact that we all agreed to keep the name because of how silly it, it was. And I offered up to change it. He did. He offered that we change the name because the name's kind of stupid. And I said, no, fuck that. We're not changing it. And not just that, we had also um, removed the original two songs that me and Russ wrote. And we had the full EP, which all of us wrote. So it wasn't really just the, it wasn't really like the original Horrify anymore, you know? So I offered mm -hmm. up that option to be like, okay, well, if we want to go with a new band because you know this is a new idea this is everybody's got their their opinions here and it was like no no joel said fuck that russ was like i don't care scott was like you know fair enough but scott does what he's told <laughs> <laughs> and i was i go with it because one thing that i realized i need to do if i'm going to be in a band again and if the band is really going to be successful is we have to stick we have to stick together and we have to embrace each other's ideas and not look for ways to keep each other down. You have to look for ways to empower each other and to flesh out every idea and to really like see where we can add everybody's feelings and everybody's skills and everybody's uh, ideas and intentions to this music because that's what's going to make it real for everybody when we perform it. And once again, this is performance. This is performance for us. We're there to show this crowd that like shows – 
are an experience again. It's not just going to watch your buddies play the same tunes that they sent you on Spotify. It's an experience, you know. These guys are going to go fucking nuts. The last show, this guy, their bass has broke his nose in the pit. Like, people, I always think about it like this. I want to be the band on stage when people are telling each other, like, I lost my fucking shoes that night. You know, like, I fucking ripped my shirt. My shirt was ripped off my body, and I didn't find any of the pieces after. You know, I want to be the band that started those stories. Because that's the memories. I got memories like that from Warp Tour, from uh, Bring Me the Horizon. You know, before they were, I saw Bring Me the Horizon on a work tour stage at the Calgary Raceway before they were playing Donington Park to half a million mm-hmm. people or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's that feeling that they put out. That's why, that's what separates the high end performers from like the little boutique nerds. Well, and something you've already mentioned today is that you talk about like um, the way you write your songs are with the intention of having that feeling and that momentum in, in the crowd. And then you're also talking about your performance. So what goes into performing at that level for you guys? Joe, you go first on this one. Um, what goes into performing at that level? Sweat. So fucking hot on stage. It's unbelievable. I didn't realize this till loud as hell till we were at the neighbor's pub. And it's, it was so hot that there was lumps of molten concrete stuck to my shoes when we walked into the venue. I couldn't walk around properly. And I realized it's a lot of sweat and physical energy. Um, after the Cradle of Filth show, I threw up. And it was just from, like, acid reflux, you know, from, like, all the adrenaline and all this shit that goes into it. It just it's, it's about just going up there to me and not giving a fuck and just you know, letting, just having fun and not worrying about the fact that you're in front of a bunch of people who cares, you know, if they, if they're going to have fun, if they don't have fun, fuck them and fuck you. And, you know, like that's just that attitude of just do it, just get up there and do, do it. That's the only thing that saved me so far. Otherwise I'd be such a bag of nerves that I'd get up there and shit my pants or something. And you you did, you, you did. Um, did. Not like actually in real life, but but yeah, like that's, that, that, that's to me, like, it's just about getting up there and just having, and just trying to have fun uh, with, with the fact that you're up there. And that means moving your body around. And that means getting into it and making silly faces and whatever else it is you do, I think. So. So funny story about Joel. This is Joel's first band he's been in. And we went from our first show at Burns to opening for Cradle of Filth at the Palace Theater in three and a half months. And that was Joel's third, like, real show. We played, we played at Burns the week or two weeks before, but it wasn't really a show. We just kind of filled out the bill because I was doing a trash talk show. And we had a band that had to back off last minute. So I was just like, hey, let's jam here because we got to jam for this show anyway. So let's do that. But our technically our, our fourth show, but our third show, Joel's third real performance in front of a good crowd was Cradle of Filth. And like, I can, he went through it. He went through it. Holy, the score and range of emotions. And Holy like, fuck. well, you know what it is, though? It's because I'm a dad and stuff and when you're a dad like you don't care anymore about shit like you don't even think about yourself you're like oh there's the kid forgot to eat their banana like this drool covered like husk i'll have that for breakfast before i leave for work at my shitty it job you know like that's kind of how 
that's kind of how the thinking is. So when you get yeah. up on stage in front of people, you're like, what am I, why am I, I wouldn't be afraid of you. Like I have kids, you know, like how much, what happens when the house gets a flu together, like a stomach oh, yeah, virus. Man. Oh buddy. It's the yeah, worst like... fucking thing ever. Do you think I'm going to be afraid of like a bunch of people? I don't know. I don't care. And, and I, I think that's all that saves me. If I was 20, I don't think I could do this because it would be all ego and, you know, thinking you're a fucking rock star or some, or something and, and you get all up yeah. your own ass. But when you're and, when you're like an old fart, you don't care. And that's one of the things I love about Joel is that he's not uh, he's not engrossed in the scene, you know. Whereas like you'd think like oh a show like that that's high caliber musicians, and it's like we're not really high caliber musicians. We're high caliber performers, and that doesn't come from like uh, emulating other people or trying to be in competition with other people. Like we are 100% doing our own thing on our own terms in our own time when we want to. And that's the only thing that keeps it going is that we are doing this 100% by choice. None of us feel obligated to do this or be a part of this. Um, we all have the freedom to back out at any time. And I really feel like if any of us did, none of us would be upset with each other because we're all on that same level. You know, I know in my mind, I wouldn't be upset with anybody if they decided they wouldn't want to be in the band anymore because I know this, like this is for me, this stuff is my whole life, my whole personality. This is my whole being. And I chose that too. I consciously chose that. I didn't settle for that. This is what I love to do. And being in a band and understanding that, you know, these things happen and I'm a long-term kind of guy. Like I didn't get back into band stuff because I was like really working really hard to get to that. It, it happened because it was supposed to happen the way I see it. So we're rolling with that and having somebody like Joel, who's never been a part of the scene, never been a part of any of the ups and downs and drama and nonsense. And maybe he was a part of this band who has these members, or maybe he was a part of this band that talked about this stuff. You know, none of that, none of that weird stuff that people might pick up on and try and like try and hold against you, you know? And his influences are clean. They don't come from a space of like, oh, I like this band because this band is cooler than this band. You know, this band uses the cool gear that I like that this band uses. Joel's like, no, this music sounds weird or this music, I watched this Japanese anime cartoon when I was younger and I like the riff from it. So I'm going to use that kind of riff in one of our new songs. You know, Joel's like that kind of guy. And that's what I like because I'm always going to have the extreme aggressive intensity in my music and on stage that's just that's the that's what i do it for so Joel knowing that and all of us coming to the same goal but with that style in his mind and not not, not having any of those hang-ups that creates really unique and intense music because joel's got joel's got intensity worked up in his heart and in his mind all his own without any of the need for extreme aggressive music i'm real Trust real me. uptight man <laughs> real fucking uptight you know what Joel like, you bring a fresh perspective because if you're not engrossed in the scene you kind of like have your own thing going on like Nate already said and you, you bring in a totally different view of what um, the music should be well I mean I, and it's not that I'm not a fan of the music but I do really have uh, a more eclectic kind of sensibility when it comes to music and I think that all music is I was talking to um Quarthon from No More Moments about this the other day. My fucking favorite, one of my favorite bands in town right now, by the way. Uh, and um, we were talking about how music has so many similarities cross genre. You can hear something, it's like people saying that black metal is just, you know, surf rock. 
with more fucking distortion or whatever. And, and you can see that across genre everywhere, right? So a, a good lick or a good riff or a good you know pairing of notes is good no matter where you find it, no matter what genre it's in. And so I just, a lot of my music is, hey, let's take this riff that's kind of neat or this this jingle that I heard somewhere, but let's fuck with the timing of it or let's change a few things. Like that could make a good metal riff and bringing that into it. And it's the same philosophy that I have writing too, which is if you want to be a good fantasy writer, don't read fantasy. You want to read history. You want to read nonfiction, things in, in reality, because you don't want those influences coming in and poisoning the work, uh, you know. So when I'm writing for Horrify, I'm not listening to metal because I'm trying to find influences from other places. But then I can enjoy metal after. I'm on a like a hardcore kick right now, you know. I'm listening to the Chromags right now lately and all this other shit. But when I'm writing for Horrify, I don't listen to any metal. I don't want it coming in and sort of poisoning the well because it's like, that's not what people need. They don't need more of the same thing they already have. There's plenty of it. So why the fuck would I want to do, you know, do that again? And that's always bothered me. And all my favorite musicians always pull in things from other places. That's why prog rock is interesting. That's why I love Zappa so much. You know, there's entire like uh, albums or sets of albums that are like completely different in genre from what came before and after. And I've just been fascinated by that approach. So I think it's something that works somehow. I don't know why, but it seems to work just fine. And I think it's because what we were talking about with the similarities in music and all across all genres, there's just things that work, right? And, and so that's what I try to go for. Since we're on the topic, um, you've already mentioned like punk and hardcore and then obviously prog rock. So for both of you guys, what, uh, what are some of your favorite genres or styles of music and some of your favorite bands? Um, so I'm fairly like basic i actually just sent joel an album that i think i might have sent him before uh just sent it to the group chat now it's killing t killing time is uh i like new york hardcore a lot like i listen to it all the time and then i listen to like socal ska a lot like i love ska music and punk rock i love fast music so like i even listen to hardcore edm sometimes just to get that keep that 200 bpm going um i used to be a hardcore drug addict and I changed that. I changed my ways and I changed my mind, but I still kept up with the music because getting that, getting that speed in there, getting that vibration, getting that feeling, it's, it's the same fucking thing to me now, you know? Um, and I don't have to face the pain and the guilt that comes with the inevitability or with, with any of the drug use, you know, the inevitable pain and guilt that comes with that, you know? Uh, the music is just, it's fast, it's intense, it's there. But I also have... Uh, a real soft spot for a couple like you know 70s bands like i like uh, crosby stills and nash um some fleetwood mac in there even some like penny Loggins and colin james uh reba mcintyre love reba mcintyre me and my mom used to listen to reba mcintyre lots uh yeah it's it, and and new york New York boom bap hip hop like Wu Tang Clan and Nas and all that good stuff. Um, for me, I grew up. Well, my first album ever was Thriller, 
So that was a that's a banger. That was a huge influence for me, just in general, as as far as music goes. Um, but then movie scores. I used to collect movie scores when I was young. I'd buy them on CD and things like that. I remember owning like Mission Impossible and The Rock and Joel's just got a a fucking poster of Hans Zimmer on Hans, his wall. Hans Zimmer, he's one of my favorite composers back then. <laughs> anyways, for sure, you know. Uh, right. But but then it's changed over the years a lot. So I had a power metal phase, and I had like a phase where I was into Rush. I do own every Rush album. That Rush um, is just their own genre. Rush is their <laughs> own genre, uh, but like Genesis as well. You know, I was into prog rock. Uh, these days, right now, I've been listening to a lot of like Frank Zappa, like I was saying, and Captain Beefheart. Um, and then, you know, I had my grindcore stage, and and Death is one of my favorite metal bands ever, for sure. I think they might they might even be the favorite because there was just such a uniqueness to to the way that Chuck Schuldner played. Um, and yeah, so it's kind of all over the place, really. But uh, I, I, the thing I love about music is that it's an endless well of discovery. So, you know, I find local bands that I like just as much as any big band. I'd rather go see one of their shows than I would, you know, uh, fucking Metallica or something like that. It's, it's just what's exciting at the time. And, um, hardcore music in general, or just music that's sort of like beyond the norm outside of like the traditional kind of radio shit that you hear all the time has always been interesting. I love, I just love, I appreciate very much artists that are just doing what they do and not really having any pretensions about, um, kissing ass on that level. And, and, and where it's just, Hey, let's just create something. So I don't listen to genre music very often because again, it all starts sounding like it apes each other. Um, but things, some things stand out. I like that thrash revival shit. Like I said, toxic Holocaust, uh, mm-hmm. and things like that. I like when they when people are trying to bring back a subgenre or some kind of genre of music that you haven't has not maybe been in the limelight as long and they're they bring that really old school uh, aesthetic to it as well. Even the way the Toxic Holocaust shoots the music video, it looks like it could have been shot in the fucking eighties or something like that, you know. Uh, so I could ramble on about this shit for days, really. But the genesis for me was really scored music and video game music and stuff. The genesis was Genesis. The genesis was Sega Genesis. And, and, <laughs> and that's not that far from the truth, because if you've heard the Sega Genesis sound chip, it's very heavy metal. Like, a lot of those games have a very heavy metal vibe to them. So that's probably what got me interested in that sound in the first place, for sure. Oh, yeah. Do you remember the first video game that kind of uh, got you thinking, like, yeah, he does. I'm going to put this into a metal song? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a game called Musha on the Sega Genesis. And it's uh, it's one of the more expensive games now. I know that for sure. It's like a top-down shooter. But it just had such a heavy metal fucking vibe to it. I played it all summer one, one year in high school. I just got, I would get a bunch of beers. I'd get like a guy to pick me up, beer, to boot me beer. And I don't think anybody does that anymore because you'd get so fucking busted. But like back when I was 15 or 16, you'd just stand outside the ABC liquor store for like five minutes and some guy will boot you beers. And I'd you like spend $50 on a six pack, but you get some beer. That's right. I'd go and I'd, I'd give the guy five bucks or whatever. And I'd go home and I'd sit and drink a bunch of beer and play Musha for like fucking hours. And because it had this super speed metal kind of soundtrack to it. So as far as putting mu- music into a metal song, that doesn't maybe answer that exactly the same way, but just seeing metal 
in in other places besides just the genre itself and then that helped me to see music it, and then and be able to plug that into metal because you you realize like ah this stuff's kind of interchangeable and it can be interesting if you mix it up a bit right mm-hmm, totally um i i'd have to say first video game for me has got to be fucking sonic the hedgehog on sega those fucking interludes those start screens like all those songs were insane. I still hum them in my head sometimes. Well, and they were written by a pop art, a pop group called Dreams Come True in Japan. It was a pop like, a pop duo that wrote the original uh, Sonic soundtrack. Just the guy wrote it, but yeah, it, it, so it was written as pop music. There's so many layers to that. I'm sorry, now it's for... the Sonic the Hedgehog podcast uh, <laughs> or whatever the Sega Genesis <laughs> podcast. But, but yeah, uh, but yeah, they like had... you know what I mean. Like you can see it in video games. It's it, right, and, and those tunes are so catchy. Well, that's why you know they were using pop hooks in the music. Good stuff. That's really interesting. Do you guys know of any other like video game uh, music creators that kind of moved into metal or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I mean. Like the ones that come to my head right away are like Mick Gordon and Andrew Hushalt, or Hushalt. I don't know how you say his name, but uh, they're bringing gent back, you know, into the popular limelight in the Doom games. And Andrew Hushalt has made metal soundtracks for lots of other first-person shooter games that are in what they call the boomer shooter genre, which is like as in boomer like old guys like yeah as in like you shoot a bunch of old people <laughs> no but uh, a lot of different countries like like they play like doom and quake right it's not that military boring tactical shit that's that people like now like call of duty but you're running around like yeah. jibbing dudes with rocket launchers the original deathmatch the original deathmatch kind of shit and so andrew hoschalt uh it's all like metal soundtracks right a lot of dark metal or or uh, like sort of speed metal in there and stuff like that uh that com- those, that's what comes to the top of my head right now as far as like metal in in video games is Do- doom eternal and that soundtrack which tragically didn't get released because of some legal bullshit but that fucking soundtrack it sounds like a mashuga album do you know what the problem was with the release of that album? um i think that what happened was mick gordon who was composing that album he got into trouble with Bethesda or ID or whatever the the company that made Doom, because he was late on a lot of his promises uh, on making the music. He was slow slow to the gun, and they had timelines for him he wasn't meeting. And so I think they decided to cut him from the company after the game released. And because of that, the rights to that went with him or got lost in the shuffle or something. And so we haven't had an official release of the Doom Eternal soundtrack because of that. And it's a fucking shame, too, because it's great. Yeah, that does suck. Those are something on Spotify, um, but I'm not sure if those are, like, um, just different songs that they've kind of... Yeah, it's just things people have cobbled together, but it's not, like, the official mastered by Mick Gordon kind of release. That legal bullshit gets in the way of a lot of games and a lot it of does. Music. It certainly does. Brutal. Um, moving back just a little bit, guys. Like, how did you guys get into your uh, corresponding instruments? So, Joel, like the, the guitar for you and Nate. I'm just going to use your vocals as an instrument. Joel, you go first on this one, buddy. Um, for me, I played guitar a little bit many years ago. Um, I just had like a cheap Squire bullet, you know, and I'd play that a bit. Bass was the first instrument I ever picked up because my buddies wanted to do this talent show thing. And they needed a bass player, so I thought, okay, I'll pick up a bass and we'll learn friggin' Fallen Angel by Poison or whatever it was. 
and uh, try and, and do this talent show. Um, but then I dropped instruments entirely in my early 20s, just out of non-interest. And I got back into guitar when I got really sick a few years ago. I was having stomach problems and stuff. Eventually got diagnosed celiac. And uh, I needed something to keep my mind busy because I was going through a lot of anxiety. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to get a guitar this time. It's going to actually be a good guitar. I got myself a Fender, uh, a Fender Stratocaster, which I'd always wanted, and then just started playing again. And I played a lot because I had really nothing else to do at the time. I had a job where I wasn't doing shit. I was working from home, and I would just sit there and fiddle on the guitar all day kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I got into, into that. Um, for me, I actually started playing, like not really playing, but I started with guitar when I was in kindergarten and I was always into it, always really into music, kind of troubled household I grew up in. So like music was always the respite whenever anybody's listening to music, you knew they were in a good mood. So that was always the thing tied to it. Right. And I didn't have the attention span to actually get good at any instruments. Um, which sucked. I still play guitar here and there. I can come up with some riffs, but it just it just gets away from me. But doing death metal vocals and performing like that always came really naturally to me. And I just kind of went with it. And it was just since I was 17 years old, just hitting the stage and doing shows and hammering out vocals. And yeah, you know, here we are now, 15 years later. And still doing my best to keep on going strong, but with an entirely different attitude towards an entirely different drive behind it, entirely different uh, outcome from it as well. But all the same stuff going on, getting up on stage, grabbing a microphone and fucking screaming fucking fire and fucking ash all over the microphone. So who were some of the first vocalists that you kind of uh, encountered that kind of that pushed you or exposed you to that extreme metal vocal style? Uh, it was Des Fafara from Coal Chamber in the beginning for me. Um, Corey Taylor, uh, Serge Tankian, uh, Darren Malakian, the two guys from System of a Down. Um, another one, Ollie Sykes from Bring Me the Horizon was really the one who started to push me to do the the low stuff and the high stuff. So like my vocal style for Horrify is a mixture of Des Fafara with that, uh, that guttural style. Cause my guttural doesn't go super, super deep and I'm not trying to get it to go super deep. I'm trying to get it to be super strong and powerful, like a pile driver with my full body weight, you know, not, not trying to be the deepest or trying to, to dig a hole. Uh, well, I am trying to dig a hole, but I'm not trying to, Try to be the best. I'm trying to get my pounding sound out there. And it's Des Fafara mixed with Fred Durst. And the way Fred Durst used to deliver his emotional vocals on $3 bill. Uh, and I know that might be cringy, but I, I really could care less. Like I listen to those songs and I listen to the way that those vocals are delivered. And that's the reason why it was so relatable to so many people because there's a lot of emotion around that vocal style. And then the intensity of like good old corpse grinder you, you can't you can't say no to corpse grinder um there's a couple other vocalists mixed in there but once i started to get my own feel because i i went from learning how to do my death metal vocals to being in a band so at that point it wasn't as much trying to emulate a style as like now i need to hone my own style and i i don't really need the influences 
to keep me up on that because I'm playing shows. I got to keep doing my thing. I got to keep going with what I got going on. But yeah, those key influences really started with like the the early 90s or late 90s, early 2000s new metal wave, man. And it's it might be a little bit cringy and some people might be disappointed to hear that. But hey, you know, grab a mic and let's get on stage and let's see who fucking goes harder. <laughs> I don't see why people think it's cringy or why they don't really like new metal necessarily. Like it might not be their thing, but realistically it's, it's introduced so many people to metal. Like that was the beginning of my metal journey as well. I think it's because of the, uh, because of how it was over publicized before it crashed and burned. You know, a lot of things get turned into a meme and then people don't take them seriously. But, and, and me, cause you, you should probably know this as well, you know, uh, doing the, the interviews and searching for bands you start to see where people's opinions are cultivated and you start to see how certain people feel about certain things. But new metal, and especially from us, like we're, we say we're a grindcore band, we got a lot of death metal influence, but really it's like Captain Beefheart and fucking Coal Chamber, you know? Like it's this is where the extreme shit comes from. And being able to be real with your influences and not try and put up a front to, to get people to treat you a certain way, that's what really is going to get you connected with people who want to listen to your music and the people that you want to listen to your music. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you guys mentioned earlier that you were working on uh, some new music, and how long have you been guys? Uh, sorry, how long have you guys been working on that? We've been working on this album pretty much since the last one was finished. Um, slowly, I, I'd say probably it really started in January, February, if I if I'm remembering yeah. right, and that's yeah. when. Um, we started really talking about writing new songs. Um, we wrote most of it probably in between January and April, uh, where it was like mostly kind of there. And then I went in and, and demoed the last two songs, I think two weeks ago now, something like that. So it's um, it'll be another six song release. It is very nearly finished. We just need a few more parts and then it needs to be mixed and mastered. And uh, the this this one is going to be different than the last one, just in the terms of again, there's maybe a little bit more of a punk influence in some of it. Some of it is a little faster, um, and then the writing itself, there's a lot of science fiction uh, references and things like that in the lyrics and the vocals and and uh, the last the the, the single I'll let. Nate talk about when the single's coming out, but Forms of Canley is our newest single, and that's all about Dune, for example. Oh, sweet. Um, Forms of Canley is coming out on Sunday, like I said earlier. Uh, we released a video for this a while back, and we recorded, me and Russ did the, we shot the video, and then Russ did all the editing on the video. And uh, this video was actually shot sporadically as well. Me and Scott showed up. We should, me, Scott, and Russ shot all of our parts for the video in one go just in the jam space with our banner in the background and uh then we were able to get joel over to, to shoot and he was only able to come over for one for one stop because like getting ready to start the new job uh wife is very very pregante you know gonna pop literally any second he's like okay let's do this and we got it out and then Russ messages me and he's like, okay, I think I got this video edited. I think this is the one. 
so we're watching it. I'm checking it out. I'm like, all right, sweet. And he's like, I think, I think we're good on this. And I think we should upload this. So I was like, all right, let me listen to the audio one more time to see if there's anything that I think should be fixed. And he's like, all right, cool. So I listened to it a little bit. I get back to him probably an hour later. I was like, all right, man, I think we're good to go. He's like, okay, good. Cause I already uploaded it. <laughs> <laughs> no choice at all. No. So um, one of the things I do like, uh, in the back end is I'm developing uh, like a marketing and management, little marketing and management company consulting situation. I am still very, very early stages of it. But one of these things I'm doing is learning about promotion and marketing of singles, music videos, all those cer certain types of content. Well, Russ doesn't give a fuck about that. And that's good. And he does give a fuck about that. But Russ is also of the mind that we're still a new band, you know, nobody cares about us yet. Nobody cares about us to do all that stuff yet. And he's totally right. You know, I, I, the only reason that I think about this so much is because I'm still like, I'm doing it and thinking about it and learning about it all the time. So I think that I can like, Oh, this applies to my band when really it doesn't, you know, the stuff I'm learning about is like for established bands, for, for bands that already have a following so that when they do plan a release cycle for something, that following will eat it up. And we're still really in the early stages of that. So this is another good aspect of having the of how we interact as band members. You know, we don't shut each other down. We don't make executive decisions over top of each other. We're always very much, and sometimes that comes to sometimes that that messes us up because it creates a situation where we a decision is presented and we end up like not coming to a decision on it yet, and then we end up cracking jokes and then just going through the role of. Um, making hilarious, ridiculous jokes. And then we forget about it until the very last minute of when we're able to make the decision, you know, but once again, new band, we're still learning how to, how to do all this again. We're not putting the pressure on ourselves to, to compare to other bands, you know, and that's once again, Joel, not having any sort of preconceived notions on what he wants to see from this band because of his past experiences in other bands. That is so refreshing to me. Because I don't have to worry about another band calling him back and being like, hey, man, you know, like, we should do this and we should do this. Or him having left a band and always wanting to compare every experience in, our, in the new band to that old band. You know, it's very nice to have that freedom of just like, this is what we want to do. And this is the purest idea. It's coming directly for Horrify. It's not coming with any any other attachments or strings with it you know what nate's trying to say here is that because i don't know how good it can be to be in a band i accept horrify because even though it's the worst possible experience of being in a band that you could have i don't have any other prior uh compare points of comparison for it <laughs> yes Russ um, mixed and mastered the last EP, and then you're talking about how you're moving into like the promotion and maybe booking and stuff like that. So you guys are already doing a lot of things in-house. Uh, that's probably going to be better when you become more established, when you have a couple of releases under your belt, and then you become more in demand. Yes. Um, this is one of the beautiful things that I've learned, is that the more that you can learn and do things yourself, the better off you're going to be. Because the music community is just that. It's a community. It's not uh, It's not a money-making business in the way that everybody thinks it is. Not at our level. Like, we're, we're underground. That's where I live, you know. I live in a basement suite, too, you know. Like, my whole life is underground. And underground music is, is just that. So, like, when, uh, when you're releasing stuff and you're planning for it, you can't think about what other big bands are doing. You, you have to 
yet, but you can still look at what they're doing and be like, oh shit, how am I going to do this with like no money? You know? Um, and getting a couple releases under the belt, there are plans to do stuff, but doing it in house, lowering the cost and learning, you can trade those skills with other bands for the things that they're good at. You know, Russ is able to uh, work with other musicians in his studio. So that keeps his skills sharp. He also has multiple other bands and projects that he's like amazingly killer stuff, alt rock. Uh, he's doing EDM stuff now, but he's also recording acoustic projects and he's recording vocalists and he's trading those skills for, well, for money in that situation. But that's also a connection, you know, those bands and those people are able to say, yeah, Russ was the guy who recorded me. And then it comes up that, oh, Russ was in this band, you know? So this trade, this community development is just as important in the scene and just as important to releasing music as having really good music to release, you know? Because nobody's going to want to listen to your music if you're an asshole. And if you're an underground band and people find out you're an asshole, then, well, you might get spite listens. <laughs> Rising tides raise oh, all ships. Exactly. And that's the point of like what we do too, right, Mike? You know, we you have your podcast. I have my podcast, my online show, do the promotions and stuff, always talking with other bands. Like that's community development. You know, you are just as important, if not more important in the scene because there's not a lot of like promotion platforms strictly for, for metal music. You know, there's lots of music podcasts. But once they get to a certain level, they get so busy and inundated with stuff that's like they know is going to keep them on their trajectory that they just they don't pay attention to the stuff that they originally started with, you know? And unless you're a fucking piece of shit, cross-pollination is easy because you want to go to shows and play with other bands you like and hang out with those people because they're your friends, right? Yeah. So I can't imagine a scenario where you're like, okay, boys, let's go, and you don't talk to anyone else in the scene, or, you know, like, you, your your head is fucking big because of that. Like, fuck that. It, so it doesn't have to be a cynical decision uh, or, or, like, a deliberate decision of, like, we need to network with other bands for, for marketing reasons. You just do it because you're all having fun together, right? Like, we played a show recently at Broken City, and that was because even though we were all burned out and we had said, like, we're no more shows, no more shows, and Nate's like, hey, how about one more show? Uh, well, and, and I, I, and I said, you know what, well, who, who's playing? Cause it's like, I'm fucking tired. And then it, it, it's like two bands that are our buddies. Right. And I'm like, well, they need this. And the guy that's promoting the show, he's freaking out because one of the bands bailed like, okay, we'll do it for them. You know, like, so that, that's kind of, to me, like how, uh, the, that, that just comes like that part comes from, as a natural course. Never mind merch and promotion, all that. That's a whole different fucking bag. But just the idea of that cross-pollination of bringing each other up out of the fucking mud, you know, and promoting each other's shit. I'll promote other people's shit on the Horrify page before I'll promote our stuff just because we like them and we want yeah. other people to know why we like them and, and, and share their stuff as well. Well, one of the... I feel like... Oh, sorry, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, I feel like that's a staple of a metal community. Like, you see people on stage and they're always wearing other bands' shirts. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Like, they're just always promoting everybody that's in the scene. And it's like, you know, they want to get the word out for everyone, especially if they're friends. It's like, these guys are good at what they do. They need to be heard. For sure. So wear this on stage. Because it's anybody's it. fucking guess who gets recognition, right? Like, it's, a, it's luck of the draw. And there's bands that are so insanely talented and passionate about what they do. And 
for whatever reason, the mood at the time isn't in that kind of music, and so maybe they're not getting the attention that they, that they deserve. You always have to support each other, right? Like, Horrify is working right now because that's what people are looking for right now. There's a gap maybe in the scene where that kind of music just isn't as prominent, and but later there'll be another gap in the scene that another kind of band will come and fill, right? Maybe... I don't know. What kind of genre? Uh, jazz. You know, metal needs more jazz. Jazz is going to be big in the metal scene soon, let's say. Right? And then some fucking band comes along and they're a bunch of smart asses playing this jazz metal fusion. But people are going to like that because, oh, they're the only guys doing it right now. Right? And that, that yeah, seems exactly. to be kind of how the scene works. So to, you got you always constantly got to be pushing each other up and say, hey, check out this fucking band. You like punk? Check out No More Moments. You like thrash? Check out Black Pestilence. You like Lord of the Rings? Check out Bowery. Check out Bowery Gath if you like Lord of the Rings, and I <laughs> fucking do. You know, that's that's what it's all about. We've talked about a lot of uh, local bands already today, um, Nate. And judging by some of your videos that I've seen, you basically focus on solely local bands. Uh, it's true. Now, this is another thing as well. Uh, the reason I like to focus on local bands right, mainly is because of access. Like I'll get this, I'll get this straight. I'm not turning down interviews with big bands left and right. If I had the opportunity to interview big bands and I have, I actually will be releasing the angel maker interview tomorrow that I got at loud as hell. And awesome. I had an interview with wake that I released last week. I believe as too. Uh, Kyle from wake is a good friend of mine. Uh, Arjun too. They're, they're great guys. And, one thing I've noticed moving up to the bigger bands is their attitudes, they don't want to deal with your bullshit, first of all. They're busy. They're tired. The fact that I got an interview like that after they, right after they got off stage is huge because the first thing I was told by, by a pro in like the music journalism industry in Western Canada, shout out to Persley from uh, Absolute Underground Magazine, is you're not going to get an interview on performance night. Bands are not interested in doing interviews on performance night. So shout out to Angel Maker for giving me that. Uh, I would love to interview bigger bands, but in the end, it's not the bigger bands that need help with promotion, you know? So I always let the bigger bands know like, hey, I appreciate you giving me this opportunity to interview you because my stuff is very visible. So for bigger bands that are signed to label, like Wake is signed to Metal Blade, you know? Um, I'm sure if I was able to get the time, I could do an interview with my buddies in Arrival of Autumn who are signed to Nuclear Blast. Um, those bands are helping out my platform. And in the end, my platform is to help smaller bands become bigger bands because you don't need to listen to fucking 40-year-old bands that are going to be 50 years old soon on the fucking radio every day just because they were profitable 40 years ago and because the fucking the, the climate of the industry has changed. Like... There needs to be new bands eventually. These new bands need to fill the space of old bands. And I want to make sure that some of the fucking really good bands that I know of get a shot at that as well. And if it's going to, it obviously, I'm not really the, the be all end all platform to promote bands. But I hope one day I can eventually get there. That one day a small band can come to me, ask for help, and I can help them. I can get them to being a bigger band, you know? That's the that's yeah. the goal, and like I said, the bigger bands don't need help. I want to shine the spotlight on the underground bands. And another thing too is, the bigger bands don't want to tour here if they don't think there's going to be people here to see their shows. You know, 
we get a lot of bands that skip Alberta. And the reason they skip Alberta is because if you're an outsider, it's very hard to find any sort of fucking scene here. You know, it's not like a guy can walk in from out of nowhere and find out where the good shows, where the shows with lots of people are going to be versus the shows where it might be one or two people, you know, the, it's not very accessible. So I'm trying to create a little bit of a portal of accessibility that hopefully one day will turn into a really big, wide opening of accessibility where larger platforms will look and be like, hey, let's talk about Calgary because there's, I know there's lots of cool videos coming out of Calgary. There's cool bands coming out of Calgary. Uh, Alberta must have a pretty killer scene because there's a whole bunch of bands there that got cool stuff. You know, I saw it on YouTube. I saw it on TikTok. I saw it on Instagram, you know, and whether they see it that it's from my page or whether it comes from a podcast like yours as well, man, this is the whole point of it so that we can keep this, this train rolling because um, it's awesome that we opened for Cradle of Filth, you know, 30 year veterans, but like that show came on a whim. I, I, I got a little bit of the back end information on that. And that show came together like some really uh, like the stars aligned for that tour to come through Canada the way it did, you know, and Cradle of Filth was only able to make that happen because they're such a high end band. They have such a catalog of content that's continuously making money for them. So they're able to do that kind of stuff. But regular band tour routings, they're not going to do big drives. They're not going to do long distance, 14, 16 hour drives, not on the regular and not across fucking Canada. So we have to give them exactly. a reason to come here, to book shows here, to bring the big bands here. We have to show them that we got something for them. And I'm hopefully, hopefully that I can help with that. That's what it's all about. Definitely. And like some of the things that working against us is like, we don't have the population here and I mean, we didn't have the greatest metal venues before COVID, but after COVID, it just swept through and decimated pretty much all of them, with the exception of a few, right? Mm -hmm. That's very true in Calgary specifically. But this is the ebb and flow. Um, this is the way the world works. There's always up and ups and downs. There's always mm -hmm. peaks and valleys. And now, whereas we are in a doldrum, so to speak, right now in Calgary, Edmonton and Red Deer are going insane. They're exploding. Not just that, there's a new festival popping off in High Prairie, uh, Intersect Arts and Music Festival. That's even further north, you know. Arrival of Autumn is from Grand Prairie as well. So whereas Calgary might not be the, the spot anymore, there's still going to be a new spot. And with that new spot comes new energy, comes new bands, comes new vibe, you know. And I'm totally open for that. It sucks because, like, I don't have a license, so I'm not mobile to go do this stuff, to go see these mm -hmm. other scenes. But that's another thing that makes it more worthwhile when I can get myself out there to do it. Well, that's when you're going to have, like, the, I don't want to say mid-level bands. Not that they're not top-level or anything, but the ones drawing in, like, a mid-level crowd, they're always going to pass through here. And then you don't have to worry about spending way too much money to go see a band that you may or may not necessarily enjoy as much. I, f I feel that, like, smaller, more intimate shows always have better energy yeah. and... And just there's more effort from the musicians, I guess. And maybe that's a, an assumption. No, it's you're, you're totally right. Like like Joel was saying earlier, um, I also don't like going to the bigger shows. Like I went and saw Arrival of Autumn open for Avatar. And, mm -hmm. you know, I saw Arrival of Autumn because they're good buddies of mine. And my back was sore, so I didn't stay for the full show. But I really wasn't like concerned about staying for the full show, you know. Um, I don't like... To go to shows unless i can like talk to the musicians unless i can talk to the bands and, and give them props you know i don't like being shuffled through the crowd i don't like the experience of like 
going and standing in a room with a bunch of strangers and then leaving that room after the music's done. I like to go and stand in a room with a bunch of my friends and leave after the music's done, you know? So I have a very particular taste when it comes to that, when it comes to going to bigger shows. Uh, I also get overwhelmed with that kind of stuff really easily. I know it might come as a shock to some people because I'm so high energy when I'm out, but that's because I pick and choose my times, you know? If I was to go out like that every weekend and go play the Nate Trash character every single weekend, I I know what happens. It turned me into a drug addict last time. And it, I can't do that again. I, I got to protect my sanity like that. And big shows can be really overwhelming like that if there's not the, if there's not the preparedness and the comfort of like I'm gonna know a bunch of people here. I'm not gonna have to worry about judgments because I don't act the same way as everybody else at shows. Um, yeah, that kind of stuff. So how did you get over your drug addiction? If you don't mind me asking, my child, my child. Oh, that's a great reason. Um. I knew when Serenity was born that I finally, because I was always, my family was on, they were the wrong side of the tracks. And I always knew, I was always told too, that I had more value than that. You know, I was always told I was smart. I was always told that I was funny and that everybody always said these things about me, whether it was to just make me feel better because of the neglect I was facing or whether they really meant it, you know, I felt that. And I never wanted to admit that to myself. Because the, the ego stuff, you know, you never want to tell yourself you're smart. You never want to tell yourself you're awesome. You, nobody wants to be the one to brag themselves up, right? So when my daughter was born, because I thought it was the music. I thought I was like, yeah, I'm supposed to be a rock star. I'm supposed to be a rock star. You know, I'm not supposed to be a drug addict like my family. I'm supposed to be a rock star. But, you know, the rock star dreams, you need to work for that. It, that doesn't just happen overnight, especially to a kid who can barely keep a job, right? So... When my daughter was born, I knew that I, there was my reason. There was my reason to get better, to do better, to be better, you know, so that that way I could make sure that my daughter didn't have to experience any of the stuff that I experienced growing up. So mm-hmm. with with that came, okay, I got to fix all of this or else I'm not going to be allowed to see my daughter. My ex was very, very clear on that, you know, Serenity's real mom, very, very serious and I thank her very much for letting me see Serenity while I was fixing everything. You know, she never kept her away from me uh, for any sort of extended period of time. She never let me or she never held communications or anything. And I was in a pretty rough spot after Serenity was born. But I got through it for that little girl, you know, and she's my little sidekick. And that's where all the music stuff came back because I left the scene for a while. I was just popping into shows every now and again. I wasn't doing band stuff. I wasn't doing promotions. It was just getting getting better. And mm-hmm. I realized that I have to, and I want Serenity to not just have the best life that I can give her, but I also want her to be able to live her dreams. And if she can't live her dreams, I want her to at least know that she can she has the equal opportunity to work towards those. You know, it's possible to work towards your dreams. So in comes all the metal bands and the music stuff and the promotions again, because this is my life. This has been my life since I was in kindergarten, you know, since I strumming on a guitar, obviously it wasn't my life when I was in kindergarten, but Mm -hmm. it all, it all rolls back to the first time I ever screwed around with a guitar, you know, the good vibe. Everybody's in a good mood when there's music playing, right? My parents fought all the time. But if I woke up to music playing in the morning, then I knew my mom was awake having coffee and she was in a good mood. And those were good days, you know. So I had to let my I have to be able to be a role model for my daughter in the way that 
you can do what you love and have a happy life and you don't have to worry about what anybody else says about that. You know, if other people are having a hard time, obviously you have to help them the best that you can, but it's not your job to sacrifice yourself for their happiness. And it's made it a lot easier. Now, going back into this music stuff, I have the full support of all my family members and everything. It's not toxic like it was before. And I realize that there's no way that you can accomplish this if you are wired out on speed all the time, if you're not getting sleep, if you're not, if you look like a raggedy speed freak, everybody's going to treat you like a raggedy speed freak, you know? And <coughs> the mindset and the attitude comes through in the way that you talk. And if you are trying to put on a show and put on a fake face for, for really involved people in the music industry, they'll sniff you the fuck out. They will. It doesn't come in easy. You know, people say as, as much as you might not think that there's gatekeepers and, and the music scene is inclusive, and it really is, getting into the industry and getting backstage and getting into like working in the business, that is very well guarded because the, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of money to go around. And when there is money to go around, they want to make sure it's not going to people who are going to just like take it out of the system. They want to make sure it's going to, to people who are going to keep working it and keep helping this thing stay alive, you know, because underground music is what turns into big music. And right now there's a line. There's not a lot of underground music that's being turned into big music. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. well, I mean, there's un unlimited access to basically every band across the world ever. And with the internet and streaming and stuff like that, it makes it really hard to rise above everybody. So that's why I think it's, um, Anyways, that's a totally different topic, but yeah, I think that's um, part of the reason that not a, a lot of bands are, by percentage, are reaching that, that same level, say Metallica or Monomarth or whatever. So there are bands that are still, the reason that I see bands not reaching that level, first of all, is because <clears throat> a lot of bands don't last that long. Mm. Uh, Metallica has been around for 40 years. Uh, a lot of good bands don't make it. 40 years man they, they'll be lucky to make it to 20 you know and by that time there's lots of member changes there's lots of genre changes there's breakups there's breakdowns there's break-ins there's breakouts there's there's tour mishaps there's lawsuits there's all of it so that's another thing that's it's very guarded it takes a long time to get those opportunities but at the same time, with the advent of streaming services, we have and like YouTube and Twitch and podcasts and interview shows, you know, we have bands like Polyphia, who came out of nowhere, created their entire sound themselves, created their entire following themselves, and have sold out the, a tour that they set up on their own terms. They sold out every show on their last tour, you know. They're releasing music videos that go to a million views in an hour. And wow. they're not doing this under a label. They're not doing this under uh, any sort of publishing agreement. They're not doing this with having to split half of their profits with their manager. You know, They're doing this because they put their music out there and that music was accessible to anybody. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it's working with Horrify too. You know, Our music might not be very big on spotify you know we don't have the big monthly numbers and that's because we're not releasing new music fast enough and that's okay we're a new band we don't have to yet we're not 
I'm, we're not concerned about that. But we talk about this stuff. We show it to people. And because we don't have to worry about like, oh, we'll get you a CD at the show. We have a couple of songs hosted. It's like you already are. Uh, these people are already subscribed to these to these these streaming services. Bandcamp is out there too, you know. If you want to hear us, I'll send you the link right now. I remember 10 years ago, it was very much along the lines of like, I will email you these files and hopefully you will be able to download them and listen to them and you'll remember when you get home to your computer because there was no downloading music files on phones 10 years ago, like directly to your phone unless you were high-end fucking... They had the best phone around and, and the kids that I was hanging out with weren't packing those phones, man. They don't, did not have those data plans. We touched on the streaming platforms uh, briefly there. I'm just wondering like what, um, why did you choose Twitch instead of like YouTube or another streaming platform for your podcast? So <clears throat> the reason I chose Twitch is because I don't have to worry about getting dinged for any uh, copyright stuff until after i post the video um twitch also comes with a level of interactability that's not that isn't really available on other platforms youtube like chat stuff like yeah that. yeah it's a lot easier to uh to pass the to like so you can you can interact with the chat using bits which is like small amounts of money that you can send through you know uh you have custom emotes uh you have the stream elements platform, which sent me an opportunity for a paid sponsorship through my through my Twitch account uh, yesterday. So YouTube doesn't offer that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, another thing with Twitch too is the the chance to get a, to to meet people because it's also a social network. It's not just a streaming platform. People don't realize this about YouTube as well. YouTube is a social network too. It's not just a video hosting platform. You interact and you have a channel and that channel works with other channels. And once you start looking at these things in that way, uh, it changes the way you look at it. It changes your viewpoints and how you use them. And Twitch also has the highest quality of streaming. And I got a good, a good quality computer. I really like to make sure that I don't have low quality streams. And I'm trying to up... The, I'm trying to up my stream quality a little bit more. And the thing with YouTube, YouTube is really heavy duty with the way they restrict your videos. And it goes back to what I said before. I don't have to worry about getting dinged until after the video is done being hosted or done being recorded. And then uh, they only mute my audio. I don't get any sort of... And by then I've already recorded it. And then I kind of like cut out the first part of it and then I'll upload the interview, right? A lot of the bands that send me music, they're licensed. They they have they have licenses and they don't want like I get a couple of bands. Osiren. So Osiren, I had Osiren in one of my an Osiren song in one of my videos, and they DMCA'd me. They gave me a DMCA strike and I had to take down the video. And uh, I know how YouTube works, and I know that comes from the people controlling the channel. That they get a view of that they see that's on there and then they don't want their music there so they can strike that because it's their content so it takes intent to do that on youtube and i don't want to deal with that nonsense yeah fair enough well i mean you're just listening to the music you're not passing it off as your own no never like i don't want to that's not the point yeah that's not the point of any of it right but guess what <clears throat> that's the way she goes there's thousands of bands out there 
And if one or two bands doesn't want free promotion, that's okay. That's their choice. I don't hold that against them. I'm not going to talk shit about them. It's not my place to make decisions for bands that aren't mine. Maybe they don't agree. They don't want their stuff promoted on a platform with trash in the name. You know, they have a very specific image they're trying to portray. Um, maybe they just don't like uh, my content. Or maybe they have a very strict release, uh, very strict release agreements. You know, there's lots of different reasons. So I don't get very hung up on it. I always just move on to the next band because there's so many sick fucking bands out there, man. And that's just in the underground world. So it might not be that they don't want you using their music. It could be something else like you touched on. Um, I didn't realize that people would make that kind of decision. I would have thought that um, if some, if like a channel was playing my music, that it was more or less, like you said, free promotion. And it gets me more um, exposure <coughs> across the world. Because if they're being streamed or downloaded at across the world, then I get... Anyways, yeah, I've already made that point, but interesting. So what, uh, where did the idea for trash talk come from and why did you choose streaming as opposed to pre uh, pre-recorded episodes so the idea for trash talk came from a need to get back into the scene but mm -hmm. without being in a band um i've always always loved the idea of doing band interviews of like catching content at shows and just capturing the whole vibe of the live music scene this was something that's been on in the back of my mind since i was a kid and doing the and and then trash talk like the, the name trash talk with nate trash just rolled into my head it was like it was on a dusty shelf in my brain and i just kind of like cleaned the shelf off and it fell onto the floor and i was like oh trash talk with nate trash a wicked idea for a podcast and i'm not very i'm also not very organized I'm not very, yeah. I'm not, I don't have a very like solid workflow when it comes to how I release. Like when you, when you, I set this up with you and you sent me the, uh, you sent me the, the sheet. I was like, wow, he's, this guy's got his shit together. You know, this is a really well done podcast. Like this is, this is how a podcast is supposed to be done. Like the only reason I call my show a podcast was because it started out as like, okay, I want to get together one-on-one -on -one with people in the scene and talk about stuff outside of music. I wanted to talk to band guys about stuff they did that had nothing to do with band stuff. But it didn't work out that way. We just started talking, and it was Nate Trash talking, Trash Talk, right? So it all, mm -hmm. it all grew into its own. But I just wanted to do the streaming thing so I could get content out there. Um, if I spend too much time planning, then I'm going to spend too much time revising, then I'm just going to be done with it. I'm not going to put it out. You know, it's screw it. I'll do it another time. Um, the live streaming allows me to get it out now and just push content out and always have constant stuff coming out. Um, trash on the streets uh, was the main idea of like going and interviewing people, but COVID didn't allow that. Trash talk and trash on the streets have always been hand in hand. And they walked into the brain fully formed. But it's a lot of work, man. It's a lot of work to do all of the stuff that comes with a proper podcast, you know, to do the editing and to do the the SEO and everything and to like really sit down. And this is my framework for my pre-recorded interview. It just really numbed my brain and it really discouraged me from doing it because I didn't think I was capable for, of any of that. So what I did was I just started hucking out content. I was like, I'll figure out the rest as I go. Fuck it. I will huck out content. I will throw 
chunks of shit at the wall until one of them sticks. And that's the one I will put a picture frame around. You know what I mean? And now, now I have, I have a very, very clear picture in my head of what I want to do. And now I've started to find people to work with that will help me with the back end stuff that is really overwhelming to me. And I found a, a, an SEO guy who's been helping my channel and I've gone up by like 70 subscribers in the last two weeks and um, all my videos are getting an average of like 300 views now instead of like 20, 22. Um, what I'm starting to really realize though is the audio stuff that I release gets a lot of hits too. A lot of people really like the Spotify stuff and like the audio stuff. So I really got to keep just releasing content and hopefully everything will keep coming together and like hopefully the the wood, hopefully the wood will get polished smooth eventually and I will keep going with what I'm doing because the picture gets clearer every day. And with that clarity comes the understanding of like, okay, if I want to keep raising the quality, I have to keep putting the work in to raise that quality and kudos to you, man, because um, your podcast is deadly. I, I really appreciate you bringing us on and you, uh, you definitely have a good professional air to you and meeting you in person at loud as hell was an absolute treat. My whole crew my whole crew thought you were great. Everybody thought you were awesome, man. Thank you. I appreciate all those kind words. Um, that means a lot, actually, especially because that was my first festival and I was by myself, so I didn't really know what to do or where to go kind of thing. So, um, yeah, just hearing that definitely gives me a little bit more confidence. And um, something that I like about your podcast, though, is like you, you interview the bands in and around their, um, their performance time, but you're also doing the streaming thing. And something I noticed watching your episodes is that you're really good at um, like interacting with the people watching your stream not only the band member but everyone in the chat as well that's that pretty hard to do it is it is but it's very important when it comes to live streaming it's very important if you're not interacting with your audience and this is another thing about live streaming is that's free airtime that's free performance time that is free 100 percent on your own schedule performance time you have a camera on yourself to the world up to you to get the world to fucking care about you you know to care about your content your music and if you're not interacting with that community then that's not going to attract more people to be a part of that community and the big streamers that have people rolling through that chat like um hassan piker hassan piker has people screaming through his chat like you can't pay attention to what they're saying but one thing i've noticed is they will respond and the, the person who's typing the message, they'll, they'll understand and they'll see it. You know, you don't have to address everybody by name when it comes to a thousand, 10,000 people rolling through your chat at one time. You just have to answer and acknowledge. And the people who are on the other end of those usernames, they'll see it. They'll hear it. They'll know you're talking to them. And that's what it's about is what with the new world of, of music and the new world of streaming services and online access – you have to interact with your community because they are not obligated to care about you. They can type in probably they can type in your band name and come up with 10 other bands, whether they have your band name or not. And mm -hmm. that's what goes back to the notion of you. It's up to you to make people care about you. If you have an opening slot on a, on a Thursday, it's up to you to make that crowd fucking move from the second you fucking slam your guitar strings. That's what separates the, the, the long, the long haulers from the weekend warriors and the people who just want the instant gratification is, uh, is 
the the interaction with the crowd, you know, especially for the younger ones. And you can't sell your music anymore. Selling your music is not going to like selling your actual music, like getting transactional funds from um music from hand to hand music. It's just not how it's gonna work anymore. People see there's so much music out there and it's so cheap. But because you can send good quality music to anybody across the world and you have access to that, you can also sell the merch. You can also develop a community of of 10,000 people in a couple of months and then sell all 10,000 of those people merchandise or access to your music or access to you and your band members as individuals because they're relating. They're relating to the music. That's what makes them want to keep listening to it. And if you don't keep that relationship going then they're, they, they don't want to keep taking it in and they're not going to keep being ravenous for just your music the way that they were when that first interaction happened. So interacting with the chat on stream is very, very important. And when you're watching videos about how to do better streams and be a better streamer, that's the first thing they say is pay attention to your chat. Interact with your chat because it's your chat that's going to send you the bits, that's going to bring more people to your stream, that's going to... Uh, show you the cool content and that's it man nobody wants to hang out at your stream and if there's not a pop in chat well it's like when you uh were talking about going to a smaller show versus like an arena show you have the chance to hang out with those musicians so by by you doing the podcast interacting with your members um and then also having the band members there doing the same thing that just creates a whole nother level of accessibility that people are craving it's true and joel's joel's actually started to realize this as well um when you go out to shows, especially shows outside your genre, your regular like beat, you see the different energies and you start to feel so much more to it than just uh, what people from the outside see. Like, oh, that's a that's just a, a crappy bar band playing to a bunch of their buddies. But when you go there and you really view it for what it is, it's a lot of energy and there's a lot of love and there's a lot of different communities. Joel was actually at the Siren CD release. How was that, Joel? That was very a very different crowd. It's a crowd that is into the more melodic music, uh, you know, a crowd that's more into the power metal, that sort of thing. So I didn't see the same familiar faces um, that I see at the Horrify shows and some of the more, you know, the hardcore shows, I guess, that uh, you could call them, um, which is fine. I mean... Because again, metal is very diverse. There is a lot going on in the within the genre, in all the different subgenres. Uh, I think that's something that people don't understand that are totally outside of metal. And uh, I've seen that in introducing metal to other people, where you can start them out with something like Electric Callboy, which kind of mixes metal with like techno and yeah. pop, and and it's kind of can become this gateway drug, uh, as it were. Like, well, I mean, we started with new metal, so yeah. Electric Cowboy is also like got heavy, heavy stuff and they play high end instruments and they got really intense riffs. But I remember one of the things you saying after that show, Joel, was it's a different crowd. Like you've never seen any of those people out at other shows before. Yeah, and they probably go to shows all the time. It's just not the shows that we normally play, right? And my hope is that eventually we'll cross paths with all these different bands and we'll get to meet all these people, you know, that's, that's half of the fun of going out and doing this in the first place. And I wasn't particularly a people person before doing this. And now I enjoy going to shows and 
and uh, meeting not just fans, but fans of other music as well. I have friends that I've made in this scene that have told me straight up, you know, I'm not a big fan of Horrify, uh, you know, or whatever. And it's like, hey, that's that's cool, man. That's not for you. And, and I I wasn't like, how dare you, sir? Uh, you know, it's it's not. But but we 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 both have other things in common or other music in common within you know the same genre. So it doesn't I'm pretty really sure that was my day. partner Alex that said that to you, Joel. Oh, there's been more than just Alex. I've had a few you people too. very politely tell me that's not you guys just aren't my thing you know all of our it's wives like, hey that's cool man <laughs> all of our wives yeah my wife especially she really doesn't like horrify or or uh, anything that i do for that matter no i'm just kidding she she's become more accepting of it but she's one of the people that i can get to listen to some of those gateway bands right like she'll listen to spirit box when i'm yes. not around and stuff like that, right? And before she wouldn't listen to anything. She's trying to hide it. Yeah, when I'm not, when I'm, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Uh, well, love metal, but I can't that, love that's it. it. She doesn't want to admit it, right? Because it would just ruin our whole dynamic of master and slave. No, exactly. It would fuck up our whole like uh, bottom top thing that we have going on. She's structure. the top. So she's the. I'm the power <laughs> bottom in the relationship. Because you're at the but, bottom of the pyramid. That's what that means. That's what. <laughs> that yeah, of the pyramid scheme that we have actually going on in guys, the house. Uh, sell children. We we manufacture and sell, um, get the children to crochet little like penguins and stuff, and then we sell them on the black mar the black but, beanie baby market. We fill them with beads or whatever. We can beans. assure you the kids are too young to sweat, so it's not a sweatshop. <laughs> No, it's a it's a work at a reasonable <laughs> pace shop. We like to call it. Wow, that got dark real quick. <laughs> oh. It often does. You shouldn't have dragged me into this. It's a big mistake. <laughs> Back to my wife. <laughs> Anyways, um, so she's not much of a metal fan, and I put on stuff, and she just kind of tolerates it. But every once in a while, like I put on a song from Lorna Shore or like Shadow of Intent or something. She's like, "This is nice." And the other day, I played the Cattle Decapitation song, and she's like, "I like this song." I'm like, "What the fuck? You don't like anything that I like except for these like three or four songs." That's because not our songs, wives but... are smarter than us. <laughs> well, and it's funny that they can that uh, people can enjoy you know one song out of whatever a whole album because maybe that has more uh, appeal to them like maybe it's a little more melodic or something but then it, it doesn't end up being a gateway uh they never end up going past that and they just you know maybe just have that one song on their playlist but that's yeah. cool too you know i feel like that happened to me though with like, quite a few different bands and it's uh a lot of the time i i appreciate them more after seeing them live so i think it's like an atmosphere thing and again getting to know them and uh, getting to know the creative force behind the band, it's pretty cool. It helps me like understand the music a bit more, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I, I find that too. Like if I'm really into an artist, I, I it's hard to listen to them in a vacuum. I kind of want to know a little <laughs> bit about them. I don't like to get sucked into the cult of personality because you find out a lot of the times that the people you look up to are sort of shitty people. Um, but, you know, it's like Frank Zappa, for example. You could make an argument. Maybe he's he was kind of a shitty person to, to, to people and he was a slave driver and all that. But it's also interesting to, to learn, like, where is this music coming from? Where is this energy coming from? Why these creative choices... And I think when you understand the artists themselves, you can understand the choices much better and kind of piece together how they got from point A to point B without them explicitly mm -hmm. telling you. It's like this interview. You're asking us questions about how shit was made and we might be misremembering 
right? Like, I might not remember, oh, maybe this song was actually this, but I don't know, because you get so caught up in things. But when you get to know, you can kind of piece together the truth from the, you know, maybe half untruths, um, because it's like, okay, I can kind of get behind what this person is about and what it is they're going for, and at least that makes sense to me. Awesome. Well, guys, this has been an awesome chat. Uh, I appreciate you guys spending the time with me today. Um, is there anything else you want to cover before we shut things down? I think we got it all. Awesome. Sounds good. Oh, yeah. That's people it. people looking for your music, obviously Bandcamp's probably the best place for uh, them to support you. Where else can they find it? So Bandcamp is definitely a great place to support us. But the best place to support us is just at all, period. Um. Listen to our music wherever because it is everywhere. And where you can buy our music digitally off Bandcamp, if you send us a message, we'll send you some music too. You know, that's what it's all about is getting it out to whoever wants it. It's not about making sure that every single time somebody listens to our music, we get fucking paid for it. If you meet a guy on the street and he's high on fentanyl and he's selling bootleg horrify shit, we want you to buy that before you even buy our real legitimate legitimate uh, merchandise. We are the bootleggers. That's our distribution (laughs) center, that person. And so you need to find him. He's going to be downtown somewhere and you need to talk to him if you want to get any of our music. That's the only way that it's available. We've actually, as of the time of this conversation, removed it from all digital platforms. It no longer exists. One homeless guy downtown. It's burnt on burned CDRs, like the blue background kind that flake away and and disintegrate. (laughs) That's all we could afford. (laughs) Exactly. That's right. Yeah, of a spider or something scary, like a spooky ghost or a pumpkin. Yeah, we're yeah. Named spooky. Horrify. Spooky. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate everything today. Thank you so much, too, man. It was thank you. It has super been a great chat talking to you, buddy. Any help or anything you need, if you want to ever bounce ideas about stuff off of somebody, just send me a message, man. I look forward to doing more collaborations and stuff with you in the future. Like. I'm gonna be uh, let. I'm gonna be talking about you to a bunch of people too, letting them know that there's another podcast out there that's doing that's doing it way better than I am, and it's really good to know that there's more of more promotion stuff coming out, and there's more people that are into it for more reasons than just going up on stage and having all their friends think that they're really cool. Well, I don't know if I'd go above and beyond by saying better, but definitely for sure. Um, like I said. Some of the things I really like about yours, I'm going to try to adopt and then see how that goes. But um, yeah, I'd love to stay in touch with you and obviously work with you as well. Oh, yeah, man. I have nothing to offer you, but I would like to meet you in person and have a fucking drink. That'd be great. That sounds fantastic on all fronts. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.